0: speak about relations between the european union and russia in light of russia's war against ukraine our special guest is heidi hautala vice president of the european parliament elected in finland on the list of the green league mrs hautala is serving her fifth term in the european parliament and has dealt for many years with international trade EU external relations human rights development legal affairs and the eu budget We are joined by Jim Kloss, TEPSA's Secretary General and former Director General at the General Secretariat of the Council of the European Union. Our discussion follows the recent publication of a book on Russia and the future of Europe, written by experts from 41 European countries, from the network of the Trans-European Policy Studies Association, TEPSA. The book describes different national debates on relations with Russia and Mrs. Hautala has kindly written the foreword. Hey Jim, welcome. The European Parliament recently voted with a large majority a resolution designating Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism, a state that uses means of terrorism and is committing war crimes in Ukraine. What is the political significance of this resolution and will it have any practical consequences?
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, uh, Maybe I can reveal to you that um, there was quite a lot of debate about whether such a resolution should be adopted by the European Parliament. Why? Not because we would not uh, be be, uh, condemning uh, the atrocities, the war crimes, crimes against humanity uh, of uh, Russia in Ukraine, but because there are actually no legal basis in the EU to to regulate um, and and, uh, designate uh, states, as sponsors of terrorism, unlike in the United States and uh, and uh, Canada. But I think um, uh, when things uh, went on, uh, we realized that um, this is not a judicial question at the moment. It's mm-hmm. not a legal question primarily. It's also a political statement. And uh, because I, I sort of... Um, uh, prefer to be, let's say, uh, correct in legal terms. I was personally very satisfied because the resolution actually states this lack of legal basis, and it calls on the EU to, to designate such a legal basis. So the practical conclusions, I think, perhaps um, reflect the kind of um, uh, escalation of the atrocities, especially now uh, against the, the civilians, when we see that the The uh, life-threatening bombardments are denying um, Ukrainian civilians of uh, heat, access to water, and very, very, very basic uh, prerequisites of life. So it it reflects the kind of um, growing uh, uh, condemnation of Russia's Mm. actions by the European Parliament. And this was voted uh, through uh, with a very, very large majority so so large that i didn't even didn't want to care to to see who was voting against because it was such an insignificant number of people
0: yeah. what do you see as the end game of the um, the ongoing war in ukraine from an eu perspective is it a total defeat of russia or would something more modest be acceptable and possibly stable how would you define the victory of ukraine well i
1: I very much believe that, um, as has been said by many, that um, uh, at the moment we need to continue to make sure that Ukraine uh, uh, gains and uh, comes into a position of strength. We have seen promising signs, of course, through the, let's say, um, departure, exit of, of Russian troops from Kherson and some other occupied regions but um, this is not yet the time when Ukraine can be confident that uh, entering into some kind of Mm -hmm. peace talks would would uh, make it um, free of uh, the occupant, (laughs) the occupying uh, uh, force. Mm -hmm. So um, I believe that uh, the end game Mm -hmm. needs to be uh, to to continue the support and there of course we have challenges we have to make sure that people follow this and that they they are not um, let's say um, um, coming to this thought that um, fighting uh, uh, on the side of Ukraine, supporting Ukraine, yeah. is actually life-threatening or, or too painful for the EU citizens?
2: Uh, I, First of all, on the question of uh, sponsoring of terrorism, I completely share what Heidi said. I think this is a political statement, and it's a strong political statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question in terms of legal uh, effects, no, not for the time being, but it's political. Uh, we all agree that what the Russians are doing is terrorizing the Ukrainian population, and that's unacceptable. So uh, I think uh, we agree on that. Uh, in terms of the end game, it's too early to talk about an end game, frankly. And again, I agree. I think the sequence of things has to be one, support Ukraine so that Putin doesn't win, put the Ukrainians in a position of strength. At some stage, there will be negotiations, or a ceasefire. The question is primarily for the Ukrainians uh, to decide this. We should not dictate this at this stage. But of course, at some stage, if you talk about the end game, you see, I see uh, the reconstruction of Ukraine, I see uh, Ukraine being rebuilt, and I also see, at some stage, when the condition is right, an effort at reconstructing some relations with the new Russia, but it's far too early to date.
1: I agree, and I would want to add that um, part of the end game is to fully uh, incorporate um, Ukraine against, uh, according to to Ukrainians' wish, uh, as a part of uh, the European Union. And we, of course, know that uh, the EU has been... um, supportive of uh, Ukrainian efforts to, to eradicate anti-corruption, to put their competition laws in place, all that, before the war. But now all these efforts uh, must be um, accelerated, because it's also a question of, um, of really um, security for Ukraine to be able one day to join the European Union. And of course, the, the EU member states made a very, let's say, a strong um, change, of course, by uh, by accepting uh, Ukraine in the early summer as um, as a candidate yes. country, but it's it's. I think it reflects the fact that we we feel more and more that Ukraine wants to be one of us. It is one of us, and now not just the European Parliament, but also for the, mem- for the member states, agree that at the, the end game is that they must have the possibility to become a full member, like Moldova um, and perhaps uh, Georgia, which now seems to st- be struggling with its own reforms more than uh, any of the two countries in war.
2: The, the uh, awarding of the status was a game changer. And I mean, two or three years ago, no one would even have dreamt about this. This was a geopolitical decision by the EU, replying to Putin having burned all the bridges with Ukraine. There is, of course, another aspect to the whole Endowment, which we should not neglect. It is, of course, also at some stage about the functioning of the EU, our absorption capacity. Mm-hmm. But where I do agree is that we should not waste time in working towards this, also in terms of... Uh, as soon as Ukraine, I mean, now they're in the midst of a war, it's difficult to ask them to reform the competition authority. But mm-hmm. as soon as the conditions arrive, we should very quickly uh, push this, because you need the two. You cannot just take a decision on enlargement, which is purely geostrategic. You also have to make it work with our system.
1: Mm. By the way, if I may, um, also if we, if we look in fur- a bit further uh, to Central Asia, we see that uh, now... Um, Many of the, let's say, former Soviet um, uh, republics and states, uh, they kind of uh, show Putin uh, that they are not anymore playing Putin's game. And I think this has been quite significant. And I recall that the the president of Kazakhstan, in the presence of uh, of Putin, he really made this quite clear. And he he added in another context that uh, he wants to make sure that Kazakhstan is not... uh, finding its way to the wrong side of the new iron curtain. This is quite tough, I would say. And there's a geopolitics in uh, we, you know, We have to really strengthen our relations with those countries as well because there is this aspiration for, for democracy and uh, prosperity which can be about uh, strengthened relations with the European Union. In the pressure, China, Russia, the EU. The EU has its attraction to those countries now as well.
2: Uh, Just one word on the ceasefire. I I think we replied to that before. And as Heidi said, I mean, a ceasefire is something which particularly the belligerents have to decide at some stage. And the Ukrainians have to feel there could be a situation where they are in such a situation that they need a ceasefire too. So we should not sort of say no to a ceasefire or yes to a ceasefire now. I think we should remain relatively quiet about this.
0: Well, many Europeans are concerned about the escalation of the war. Also, the NATO Secretary General, Jan Stoltenberg, warned that NATO's aim is to prevent the conflict in Ukraine from escalating beyond Ukraine and pledged support to Ukraine's long haul. Is it the case that it suits the West, that Russian army is suffering big losses, that Ukraine is containing Russia, defending the rules-based order and values we call European, but at the same time we are coming to accept a long war in Ukraine as the new normal, and we are perhaps not doing enough to help Ukraine win the war sooner and with fewer casualties. Could the West do more?
1: Um, Yeah, I I think um, uh, we saw how much uh, caution um, the countries uh, Showed and and uh, let's say uh, uh, how much uh, they took uh, time and energy to to identify who actually has launched this missile uh, that uh, hit and killed two people in, in on the, across the Polish border from mm-hmm. Ukraine, and uh, I think it shows that we have to be very careful because Putin is totally unpredictable and. Uh, Nobody can exclude that the, that he will make uh, real from what he has said that he 's waging war against the west uh, western values so he 's declared a kind of a total war uh, and to to give him any opportunity to to make that uh, happen i think uh, would be would, would would have very drastic consequences that 's my feeling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, knowing uh, all these false flag operations that, uh, that uh, countries like Russia and the Soviet Union with Finland in 1939 also uh, used. Um, I think uh, diligence is very important that we do not sort of uh, act out of uh, a feeling of a moment and we, we should not be provoked. That's my feeling.
2: Yeah. Now, I, 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 think, I think the fact that our leaders, both the Americans and the Europeans, want to avoid escalation I mean it's their duty I'm sorry I mean I don't find that shocking the question only is it has not to be done in a way that you give the impression to Putin that we are scared stiff we're not and I thought the reaction the reaction when NATO was actually very professional in this respect so uh, 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 but trying to avoid escalation is normal I mean no one wants a third world war uh, uh, about this so we, we just have to, uh, uh, to keep calm, uh, look at the situation, not give the impression we, we are completely uh, sort of uh, uh, in awe be- before uh, Putin. Because I agree with you, he's unpredictable. At the same time, I think NATO is pretty strong. I mean, I'm not personally terribly worried uh, about this.
0: Well, in the EU we speak a lot about the support of Ukraine and I think already we have used this word a couple of times during this conversation and for very good reasons, obviously. But aren't we slightly missing the point when we speak about the support to Ukraine? And I'm here quoting President Zelensky, who said, uh, you are paying for your freedom, not for uh, Ukraine. Um, do you think that the EU citizens realize sufficiently to what extent the outcome of this war uh, in Ukraine matters for the future of, of Europe and the f- and the future order on our continent?
1: Yeah. I, I first of all, I, I believe that it is Zelensky's role to be very tough on us, to to ask for more, to demand more, um, so that. Um, he will get the maximum uh, that can be given, and we are not uh, doing that yet, I think. But um, then, um, uh, the the, the support of the citizens, I think uh, it varies from member states to member states, and of course, um, just to to quote one uh, one example, um, there was an opinion poll among uh, EU countries some months ago, though, so things may have uh, changed that uh, on who is uh, who is the perpetrator, who is guilty of this, who is responsible for this war of aggression. Uh, 90% of uh, Finnish people say Russia, only 60% of Italians. So there are different narratives and traditions, uh, which actually has been very well described in, in the book that uh, Tepsa has, uh, has uh, put together, which is, uh, well, a very rich source of... Uh, these uh, differences, which then all of a sudden, after the publishing of the book, uh, actually turned out to some sort of unity. And that holds at the moment. But, uh, but there are differences, and the, the sort of deep, uh, deep um, streams of, um, of uh, thinking in different countries now, of course, may materialize more when, we, when, when, the, when the war continues. But um, um, we have to take care that uh, the Russian narrative is not uh, winning in, in EU member states. And even more worryingly, I think it actually, it seems to be a winning in, um, in countries of Global South, where Russia is now very, very actively trying to, to find new friends and partners. And also the EU is a partner of many of those countries. I think we 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 should not patronize them in any way, but we can we can tell them that why we had this food security crisis is not because of uh, sanctions against Russia, but they are because of uh, Russia starting an illegitimate illegal war against Ukraine, and that has to be stopped.
2: On on the I, I think. Your question almost sounds as if uh, support to Ukraine was not the right expression. I think, of course, that's what we're doing, support of Ukraine. Uh, once you do that, if you do support Ukraine, the reason behind of why we do it, well, obviously, there are various issues. One is that we genuinely want to help the Ukrainians. Secondly, we genuinely think it's in our interest to do so, otherwise we wouldn't do it. So uh, uh, I think in that respect... Uh, this is a slightly artificial thing, and I think, as Heidi said, I mean, Zelensky, of course, uh, as a president in a very difficult situation, pushed the maximum pressure. I would, however, also say that it is fine to say the Europeans could do more, the Americans could do more. It's also fair to say that actually the EU has done a lot uh, over uh, the past years eight sanctions packages, the recognition of the accession status of Ukraine, which is absolutely a game changer. Uh, The military help, I mean, I agree, we are not a military superpower, but using more than three billion euros of the EU budget to arm Ukraine is also a very big step in the right direction. So uh, I just want to say that uh, uh, you can always do more, but you also have to recognize, if you want to keep the people in Europe on board, uh, you cannot just tell them what you're doing is nothing, it doesn't represent anything. That's not the right approach, I'm sorry. So I think it's important to say, we, you know, this is good. It goes very much in the right direction. It would be good if you could do even more. That's the way to address
1: it. Yeah, I even think that um, we criticize Germany a bit too much. Uh, we can discuss uh, the past of Russia-German relations, but with the new government um, and I'm very happy to see that we have a very sort of energetic um, uh, green foreign minister from my party, Uh, they have made a U-turn in in military support. So uh, it's not nothing, not at all.
0: Well, I think both of you refer to military support. If I may ask there, um, you know, out of all the military support now going to Ukraine, only two percent is coming from France. Apparently, only three percent from Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, only nine percent from Germany. I mean. Y- what does this, I understand, EU is not a huge military power, I and mean, this is something that we acknowledge. Uh, but if you look at the member states, it also might not be you know, very impressive, the military support that they are giving to, to Ukraine. So here maybe uh, my question to you would be, both of you mentioned that support from coming from the from Europe could be more than it currently is. So you know, what, what could that be? What could be more?
1: Well, there will be more, that's clear. And um, uh, it's actually quite um, admirable that such a small uh, member state like Estonia per capita is supporting uh, Mm -hmm. Ukraine um, more than any other. So the smallest one uh, who actually knows Russia very, very well. Much better than we we thought a few years ago, by the way. Well, there will be more and um, there is this uh, European... uh, Peace facility, it's called, which is uh, I think um, which has to be replenished and then to, to, so yes, we need to to definitely work for more.
0: Oh, well, Heidi, you also said that um, only around sixty percent of Italians thought that uh, Russia was a perpetrator in the war. Th- isn't this a sign that we actually really need to work on calling things by their name and uh, this brings um, uh, me to my next question which is you know about whether this war in Ukraine is genocidal in 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 nature seeing all the attacks on Ukraine's energy infrastructure on hospitals on houses murders of thousands of civilians then kidnapping and uh, deportation of thousands of children attempts at eradicating Ukrainian uh, language, is Russia's war in Ukraine genocidal in nature, and if so, why do not more people designate it as such?
1: Well, I think uh, in the very last uh, times, uh, the Russian leaders and um, sort of operators close to the Russian leadership have uh, escalated their language a little bit to this direction, talking about um, Um, extermination of the whole nation, it does not have the right to to existence, the language is not a real language and so on but nevertheless I I think Jim said uh, a bit earlier that we have to keep calm we have to Mm. make sure that uh, we don't miss evidence of uh, whatever will then by legal experts to be defined as uh, at least war crimes crimes against humanity and then the question of genocide is quite uh, it's a it's, it's a very strong uh, concept that has to be used very wisely. So I would leave it to the legal experts. We have made a few mistakes uh, earlier on di- in different situations. and um, But anyway, there's enough to, to say that Russia is uh, conducting and committing huge atrocities.
2: Yes, if I may say so, it's, it's a very important point. Also in view... Of what you hear in Africa, in Latin America, and all of that, where they actually see this war as a classical European war. And so, if we over sort of play the genocide thing, they will say this is pure propaganda. We have to be very careful with that in order that it doesn't backfire. Uh, uh, Haiti made a very important point. It is true that in terms of the rhetoric in Russia, it has gone over the top, and they say things uh, like that. But that's not in itself a genocide. We have to be very careful about that. It reminds me since I come from Luxembourg, uh, uh, this uh, language about the Ukrainians being bad Russians and they don't really exist, don't have a language. That's exactly what the Nazis said about the Luxembourgers in 40. Uh,
0: considering Russia's imperial aspirations revealed so clearly during the ongoing war, do you see a prospect for restoring normal relations between the EU and Russia in the horizon of five to ten years? Do you think that the Russian society is ready for repentance, for reckoning with Russia's imperialism, and for paying reparations?
1: Uh, I do not think that um, uh, Russian society, uh, Russia as a state, is is, is ready to, to turn into, let's say, a normal democracy, respecting international law, uh, human rights, um, civil rights. Um, At the moment, I think uh, we can see that, let's say, that the civil liberties have been completely crushed. Uh, This has been, in my observation, um, let's say, a kind of a systematic, systemic um, uh, change. uh, At least since 2012, we can go to earlier years as well. But I mean, it was very plain when Putin entered the third uh, his third term as president in 2012 that. Since then, we have all these laws on foreign agents, the undesirable organizations, what not, extremism. So um, I think um, this will decide uh, how normal the relations between uh, Russia and the European Union can become, and I don't see a normalcy in Mm -hmm. sight. But I'm reading with great interest, um, uh, for instance, uh, now... Uh, Alexei Navalny and uh, Mikhail Khodorkovsky, who don't really uh, work well together. But they both come to the same conclusion that uh, in order to become normal, Russia must establish some sort of uh, parliamentary system. Why? Because, um, like Khodorkovsky puts it, there's no good czar. He says that even if he would become president, which he doesn't believe he would be, (laughs) Then uh, for a moment uh, he would sort of uh, be very democratic, but then he would start to use his uh, his uh, his o- o- absolute powers as as president. So they want there needs to be a new constitution, a new kind of social contract also, and that's quite exciting because now we have so many let's say, I call them moral uh, migrants, moral emigrants from Russia, people who cannot anymore fulfill any kind of um, aspirations in in the Russian situation, with the war, with the abolition of free media, civil liberties. And I think we can kind of um, cultivate a little bit uh, uh, the work of, uh, of this Russian new diaspora, because they are now many of them are outside russia so they are in within our reach i mean mm-hmm. for 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 9 years now mm-hmm. i think i'm uh, no 7 years i'm uh, on the blacklist uh, so I, I could not uh, go to russia since 2015 uh, but but now many people that i want to meet and talk to they are here you know in berlin in brussels in helsinki some of them and that's i think a great opportunity we should be much more Active towards yeah, this.
2: I, I, I think this is a very important point because, for the time being, I mean it's clear. I have real doubts that with Putin, we can really uh, get into a normal relationship at all. So in the short term, I'm quite pessimistic. In the longer term, I do agree with you. Well, we have to hope that there will be some epiphany at some stage in Russia, and that they. Uh, but it, it's it's difficult because the moral. I want to say a word about the morality in the society. It's down. If you have an army which goes to the prisons to recruit people, it's a very bad sign. And incidentally, in a Russian book I read, it came out in 2012, that was one of the themes of the book, where they already said, contrary to the Soviet times, we're now going to the prisons to recruit people. So uh, I saw a very interesting uh, video uh, recently by someone called Vexler. Uh, of Russian origin, who started with Thomas Mann's example, who Thomas Mann who said, mm-hmm. we cannot pretend that Hitler was not German. The Russians cannot pretend that Putin is not Russian. That does not mean taking individual guilt, but it is the need to feel a bit of responsibility. And then he developed a whole thesis about the how the Russians have more and more concentrated their ethical approach to the smallest possible group and have no empathy outside, not even to their fellow citizens the Buryats, who uh, are killed much more massively than the people in St. Petersburg and Moscow. I thought this was very interesting because uh, you touched the governance and political issue, which is crucial, Mm -hmm. but there's also a societal issue here for the Russians. And uh, this is also something with... Uh, uh, the Russians you were talking about, we should actually talk to those people Mm -hmm. because the generation, regeneration of society uh, has to come from inside at some stage.
1: Not long ago, I went to Berlin to a concert of a famous rock star called Semfira, who's my favorite since many years. Uh, And uh, I saw uh, thousands and thousands of uh, Russian Europeans, European Russians, I only heard Russian language, perhaps Ukrainian, but I cannot recognize the difference too well. And uh, that was a concert against the war. And they they were supporting Ukraine. So we have these people in masses now that want to become European Russians or Russian Europeans. And that's a great chance, I think
0: i think my question would be do because so far i haven't really myself i haven't been to the concert as a freedom, but i haven't really seen mass rallies <laughs> of russian diaspora neither here in the european union yeah. nor in georgia for example where they are coming in thousands yes. there has been hardly any support uh, of of Russians um, for Ukraine and this brings actually me to another question which is about uh, Russia's opposition You you alluded to that as well already but can we speak of a significant group of liberals who imagine Russia as a state rather than an empire how many Russians are willing to question the imperial project. For example, Alexei Navalny has so far refused to acknowledge Crimea as part of Ukraine. His circle has been calling for a post-war Marshall plan for Russia to avoid the feeling of injustice among the Russians. But we have not really heard many suggestions from the Russian opposition that it is actually Ukraine as the victim of Russian aggression that will need a lot of reconstruction funding. There are certainly Russians who want to get rid of Putin's dictatorship, but are they also willing to give up on Russian imperial ambitions?
1: Some of them uh, the genuine Democrats, I I think, uh, but uh, uh, let's be honest, there were a few years in the 90s when the window of opportunity was there, and uh, it closed uh, already a little before uh, Putin entered into power i think already the danger uh, let's say appeared in the last years of um, of yeltsin um, but uh, i go back to 1991 um, you only have to compare um uh, how the the, the german uh, reunification where a, an important part was uh, the the total um, let's say how do you call it lustration of, of the kind of um, uh, eradication of all uh, the secret services at uh, the 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 um, uh, stasi yeah. and and to 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 go through the the crimes of stasi against people people then got to understand why they were discriminated against at the, at the institutions and and why they lost uh, their property and all that but this never happened in in russia If you look at 1991, only perhaps uh, the the statue of uh, the founder of uh, Cheka, the secret police, was uh, carried away. But there was no uh, sort of um, um, deep uh, look into the the deep state, which is still, I mean, this is, uh, Russia is ruled by the deep state. It's the the FSB, GRU, all these uh, secret secret services. And um, unless there will be some kind of... uh, procedure uh, to eradicate these uh, powers from the control they have now, I, th- I don't think anything can happen. And that has to do with the crimes of Stalin. It has to do with, uh, let's say, rehabilitation of, uh, of victims uh, of, uh, of the dictatorship. So I don't see this happen immediately, but perhaps after, a, after a, some... Um, um, deeper trouble in the society. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. mm. What comes after Putin doesn't look very good to me at the moment, mm. <laughs> but um, perhaps um, before before things start to get better, they usually tend to get worse. Yes. That's a little bit my feeling about The Marshall Plan needs to involve the Russian institutions, primarily for me.
2: We are unfortunately not there yet. I, I agree this will be long, but we should not completely give up hope. Uh, The the problem is, of course, that and you see this in someone like Navalny, that uh, the nationalist factor is very strong in Russia and the propaganda has been hammering this at school, everywhere. They are now reintroducing the obligatory military service at the university. So uh, uh, it's uh, difficult, it will be difficult, but uh, at the same time uh, I personally tend to think that I don't see Putin winning. Frankly. And as soon as it becomes obvious to more Russians that Putin is losing, things can go much more quickly than we think.
1: That gives some hope indeed.
0: Well, thank you very much. Maybe one last question uh, to both uh, Jim and Heidi. And that would be what would be one major shift, if uh, any, that you would like to see in EU's foreign and security policy as a lesson from. Uh, Russia's war in Ukraine.
1: Now this is stuff maybe you start. Yes, okay, so you have the last <laughs> word. And, uh,
2: uh, actually, uh, uh, my answer is, I don't have an answer to such questions, because uh, there is no simplistic uh, one thing, panacea. What I would say, however, is that, and I come back to something I said before, it is that actually the EU has taken a number of steps, some of them small, some quite big, which I mentioned before. So I do not see, and certainly if you mention CFSP, which is a very small part of our policy, frankly, I don't see a, a big development of CFSP which will change the game here. I think we move by increment, we move sometimes bigger steps. It all together, I think, should lead to a paradigm shift. And I think. There are there are elements of hope for this.
1: Yeah, that gave me some seconds to to think about <laughs> the and I, I would perhaps say that uh, yes, uh, but the EU as such is is a great um, um, social and political innovation which the world needs. And um, I'm looking at uh, Southeast Asia. I'm looking a little bit at Latin America, and I hope to that I I see over the years, in, even in Africa, this kind of uh, into, let's say international organizations that then step by step become uh, yeah. um democratic you know the, the, to the extent that um, at the end of the day they may have directly elected parliaments like the European parliament so that's already something that that is a, is a is a strong uh, step towards uh, peace and security and i think we have to remember also that countries that uh, are democratic they do not declare wars against each other so I would say to coming more together under international rules is uh, is what we what what the and that that is uh, the in the in the let's say in the essence of of EU's uh, efforts in the world as well. So we may uh, be unhappy about the lack of uh, um, qualified majority voting on security and and defense policy and and things like that, but. I think the basic thing is that um, these 27 countries, they're still 27, uh, are are working uh, every day peacefully with each other. With some issues that need to be solved, but I don't want to start a new (laughs) debate.
0: Thank you very much Heidi and thank you very much Jim for your insights, for your views and thank you all for watching. We will be back with further episodes soon and we hope that uh, you will be part of them as well.
2: podcast is co-funded by the european union the european Commission's support
1: for the production of this podcast does not constitute an endorsement of the contents which reflects the views only of the authors and the commission cannot be held responsible for any use which may be made of the information contained therein